Hello and welcome to the Serpent Temple podcast. I'm here with Caroline from Dystopian Future Movies and Church of the Cosmic Skull. Hello, Caroline. Hello, Nina. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm grand. Great. We're going to do an interview with the Psychards, which are based on the Jungian archetypes. And there's a little bit of crossover with tarot. So we're going to do a little diamond star reading style thing. Give those a shuffle. Okay. And tell me more about what you do. In- uh, in the bands. In, in the life. bands, in life, in everything. <laughs> in everything. <laughs> um, well, so I am a primary school teacher. I've been teaching for almost 20 years. Um, I taught in Dublin for a long time um, and then I moved to the UK. Um, and uh, I recently retrained as a music specialist. I'm still kind of in training. So I now just teach um, music in primary school. And then the bands, obviously, which we'll get to, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, we'll get to them through the medium of the sidecar. So I'm going to place them out <coughs> for you. So this is going to be your present. This is going to be your past. This is the future. This is your driving force. And this is your goal in life. Or it might not okay. be. Okay, we'll cool. find out. We'll see. Yeah. So um, I have a little book as well of descriptions. So whenever you turn a card over, I'll read it to you, and you can tell me what comes to mind okay. when you see what you see. So do you want to start with the present? Okay, cool. Fortune. Well, hey, that's a good one. Okay. I'll read that to you, and we'll see what it says. So, Fortune, a seeker, lantern in hand, is shown ascending a winding staircase leading up to a garret where a treasure chest is waiting. The card signifies the quest ending in fulfilment. It stands for success achieved by a good luck, persistence, and an increase in wealth. Well, you literally just released The War of the Ether, (laughs) (laughs) a new album by Dystopian Future Movies. Indeed, yes. So, um, yeah, we spent uh, most of... Um, well actually it was kind of like just as the pandemic started in the March of 2020 uh, we were finishing up a tour with Gravelines and uh, we had to cancel some of the dates because the whole world was you know collapsing Um, so it was just as the the, our last album our second album in Violet was just out so it was out just a few weeks and um so we had to basically just shelve the entire thing, as a lot of bands did uh, at the time. So we kind of were at home and I was like, well, might as well just start writing album number three. And uh, so, you know, I'm obviously very aware of the story of the mother and baby homes in Ireland, the two mother and baby home, particularly in Galway. So um, kind of went down a massive rabbit hole with that, reading the report, 3,000-page report that actually only came out about a year ago, so kind of got through all of that, went on YouTube, you know, digs and loads of interviews with different, uh, with survivors and, you know, news reports. So, and it just, the album just started to, you know, percolate. Um, So I just wrote, you know, most of it in a few months in 2020. And then as the um, lockdowns eased and our studio was... Um, we could go back to the studio. I started kind of gradually, very tentatively playing these kind of really upsetting songs um, to Bill and Rafe um, from the band. And uh, yeah, so it just it kind of went from there. So that's, you know, they began to, that's kind of how DFM works, I guess, is the, um, I bring the, bones <laughs> and they you know uh, flesh it out with their instruments um Oshin was involved still our, our our old bassist and then he he was really busy with work and lives in Sheffield so it all became so um so we we did the album together just the three of us and Bill ended up recording the bass um did the whole rhythm section himself and uh so so that's kind of how it came about um but it was uh, a kind of a labor of huge intensity I suppose um because of the subject matter and the closeness that you get so involved in the songs you live within them mm-hmm. you know especially when they're they have such intense content and they mean so much you know so so it was uh it's definitely the most I don't know 
intense, visceral, I don't know, like, kind of the album that we've done so far. I feel like it deals with, like, intense misfortune with the subject matter of, like, of abandonment and loss and restriction. You can feel all of that there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like the... Yeah. Some some of those interviews that you read, like Catherine Corliss, if anyone was at any of the... We did a few gigs to kind of, you know, celebrate the release of the album and we played the entire album through. Um... Rafe, um, he's a kind of a project. He does project live projections for church as well. So he's him and Bill work really well on all of that. So he did, um, a kind of like an arty <laughs> projection of um, Catherine Corliss, who's the lady who discovered, who did all the work around the discovering of the seven hundred ninety six um, babies, and um, she was kind of on the wall the whole way through the gig every time so it was almost like she was part of the performance and that was something that came quite late to the idea of what we were going to do with the performance but it was it was it was brought huge amounts of oh, I don't know it was almost like she was there with us and yeah. or and the babies were there with us and all of the survivors and those you know adopted who never knew they were even from the mother and baby homes because mm. all it was all covered up it was all names were changed whole histories were erased to cover up um, the shame. <laughs> so, yeah. So was, that was, um, yeah, misfortune, I guess, is <laughs> yeah. one way of... Yeah. And yet, as well, though, you... I, the album's been received so well as well. There has, I hope, been fulfilment is and, and, yeah. and joy in that respect, but yeah. it is so much... It's It must be a very powerful feeling... And a big feeling to be doing something that's bigger than yourself and oh, feeling yeah. that when you're on stage. Oh, massively. I think that's that's a huge part of, you know, the every time we, on a Saturday, we'd spend 12 hours in the studio, usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, sandwiches, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Sainsbury sandwiches water <laughs> more, <laughs> more, more sandwiches um, and uh, you know that kind of like 12 hour you know um, and uh, yeah it became oh it was just you know especially initially I think it was just so intense and then sometimes I think like any art project or any kind of something you get really involved in sometimes it loses its meaning almost in the in the practice of it and in the um, the creation the 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 honing of the thing and then you you know you take a few weeks off, you can't come in, and then you come back to it and you're like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> this is what this is, and it's just so intense again. So um, I can't remember what your question was. <laughs> I'm not sure if I <laughs> Me too. It. It's not important though because what yeah. you said was amazing. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, have you have you? I don't know how long ago it was because they found the bodies recently, and it was. Yeah. It, it was during, so there, there may be listeners who don't have an understanding of it, and my understanding isn't great too. So was it, was it a lot of American women whose babies were taken away from them and women who were single who became pregnant outside of marriage and the church would take away their children? Yeah, so so in Ireland there was, um, uh, from the, oh, it would have been like the late 1800s, early 1900s, more, more around the, the beginning of the Irish state, um, mm. <clears throat> The, these mother and baby homes and the Magdalen laundries that other people people might be more uh, familiar with. Um, this was where women who uh, became pregnant outside of marriage were sent. Um, now, sometimes they went willingly. Sometimes they were sent by their families or disowned or kind of sent there. Sometimes, you know, the priest was called. That's kind of one of the lines from the first track yeah. on the album. But the priest was called and they were you know, removed from the family home and taken to the mother and baby home. As a complete cover-up, as a just, like, we need to remove this stain from the village, from the town, from the family, so that we can, you know... And um, the woman then arrived there, and her name was changed um, uh, because, it, you know, such small, knit, you know, close-knit communities that if, if if you call someone by their by their real name, the people would, you know, other women there would know who they were, you know, so it was a real, you know, um, kind of covert <laughs> operation. The baby, or the woman would have the baby then, uh, often in a very, not not medically 
safe, safe. way. Um, and the baby was there for one year. The mother, the baby was taken away and put into, you know, the, the, the baby area where all the babies were in like, you know, hundreds in a room. Um, and the women would go and look after the babies, um, not necessarily their own, um, for one year. And then the mother was kicked out <laughs> of the home. Now, they weren't allowed to take their baby with them. Um, so often they would, they couldn't really return to the family home. Often they were disowned. So in a lot of cases, they would emigrate to England mm. or America or wherever you can go or another town. And uh, in rare cases, the baby would, would, you know, would be allowed to leave with the mother, but that was incredibly rare, um, almost non-existent. Um, and then the, the remaining babies that survived uh, were uh, often um, uh, exported <laughs> to America for money. Oh, okay. And the money was then given to the Catholic Church in Ireland. Um, and that was all, again, done under the table, you know, not uh, legit. Um, no formal documentation. Ch names changed. These people would, you know, grow up in America. They wouldn't realise where they were from. They might know it was Ireland, but mm. they wouldn't know where they, you know, anything about their mothers. Um, but then the reason, you know, in this particular home, the two mother and baby home in Galway, 796 were found in um, what was a, a septic tank um, used previously in the, in the, uh, as a, in the workhouse, uh, which would have been in the mid 1800s. Um, uh, so it was a decommissioned septic tank, but they they were they were just wrapped simply in um, you know a, a blanket and and effectively stacked, you know, against walls, mm. um, and they were it was it was written on it was it was written on maps at the time that this was a children's graveyard. It was known, you know, and uh, in the nineteen seventies, two boys were playing in that area because a new um housing estate was was built after the when the mother baby was 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 knocked um in the 1960s a housing estate was built in the 1970s and the grave the children's graveyard which was written on the map was covered over and a playground was built tarmac and you know on top of it but there was some kind of area that was obviously unfinished and these children playing fell in on top oh. of and one of them produced you know bones oh. a skull and you know ran home and or just you know thought it was a toy um and you know the people in you know it was anyway a priest was called <laughs> once again, and the area was blessed, and it was a famine grave, was the party line from the the Irish famine of the mid eighteen hundreds, and you know book closed, that's that, and um, so you know people knew and uh, Catherine Corliss did she spent a long time just as a as an amateur local historian doing a little. You know, oh, the mother and baby home, I remember children from that home when I was in school. So she did some research into it just out of fascination, out of interest. And the deeper she got, she began to realise that there was so many names. I can't even remember how what it was now. She, she went to the local council and she got all of the names of all the children that were ever there. And oh, deceased, deceased, uh, where are they buried? Mm. It's incredibly unlikely that they were accepted by the by the family who, you know, turfed out the mother. So it's not like they went to the family grave. Where where are they? And um, it was then that she just dug and dug and there was a lot of closed doors and a lot of, we, you know, we're not getting into this and, you know, let's just leave this be. Uh, but she, she kept at it and did so for nearly 10 years until just this year um, has had, uh, you know, the government has finally got on board and there's remuneration talks, there's... There's there's talks now about um, the babies being exhumed, DNA tested, properly reburied, but that took ten ten years of pushing, um, and a lot of uh, pushback for her, mm. you know, um, and she just did it because the babies, I, you know, I've read like her her autobiography and 
just she just couldn't stop thinking about these babies and she had to you know do it for them you know and yeah. <laughs> you bring in tears to my eyes Ooh, yeah, yeah pretty, it's so pretty heavy. intense isn't it it's, yeah, it's a, yeah it's beautiful isn't the right word but it's powerful subject matter yeah. and I can totally see why you've gone for that and I'm assuming that you chose War of the Aoife as a title because it was like a wartime term for propaganda. Is that right? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, the the the, the phrase came to, when I wrote the song War of the Ether. That it just came, and I don't know really where it came from. To be honest <laughs> with you, it just came, and then it was I googled it and was like, is this something else? And then I saw that that it was from the wartime propaganda. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, mm. and then. It was only after as well that some other people, since the albums come out, and said, oh, ether, as in... Um, yeah, and I yeah. didn't even think of that. That wasn't... <laughs> what, I suppose what I was thinking was that it's the war of this ethereal, like, what does it even mean? Oh, like, like matter. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the, the, you know, I get so into it now, but in Ireland, you know, there's been such, you know, church and state, there's still huge amounts of... Um, like even, you know, when I taught in Ireland, like the board of management, the people who ran the school, all tied into the church, the, the head of the board of management, the local priest. So every, the education system, like so much more, it's only that's beginning to loosen ties now, only now. Um, so, the you know, Ireland, I think, has been in the grips of of a religious dominance and authoritative for a long, long time. It's kind of like after the British left, there was a void mm. and it had to be filled by something and um, religion was right. You know, the Catholic Church were, were, you know, perfectly poised to come in and go, right, we'll tell you how, how to sort yourselves out. We'll prove to Europe, to the rest of the world, that we are a legitimate, you know, a nation of our own, um, separate from Britain. And, uh, you know, we'll show them how you know, uh, you know, clean, I guess is the word, isn't it? That's the word that keeps coming to mind. It's like, you know, pure, um, uh, unsullied, you know, look, look how, Virginal, you know, per- legitimate. perfect, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm reading a book at the moment. I'm still, you know, getting through it. Fintan O'Toole, great journalist, Irish journalist. And he's written, um, He's written about Ireland from 1957 up to the present day through his own eyes. That's his lifetime. So he just kind of talks about um, political, personal, everything that's kind of, you know, through his... um, And uh, and that whole bit in the 1980s, like, well, I mean, he talks about a number of the things that are dealt with in War the Ether and how the church really was the boss. You couldn't look sideways and the church would you know in many many different respects and huge misogyny obviously um because women bore the brunt of the righteous yeah mm. kind of finished that sentence <laughs> you know what i mean people people definitely know yeah. <laughs> if they don't then then they're yeah probably too far gone but yeah, I mean, I was reminded, I'm not, it's been many years since I read his work, but I was reminded somewhat of James Joyce. Yeah. So you're talking of, of um, the literary approach. When I read your lyrics, definitely the stream of consciousness, kind of almost talking heads approach of like different points of view pointing to the same bigger picture definitely revealed itself because I know... I read bits of Ulysses and there's Dubliners, of course, as yeah. well. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that I wasn't completely off yeah. <laughs> on that um, on that connection that yes. I made there too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he did talk in Ulysses about the well, the the industrial schools. That was a big in, um, uh, there's 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 mention of part of that and the industrial schools, the Magdalen laundries, the mother and baby homes. That was all part of this. Um, you know the complex of secret of the you know secreting away of um you know the the impurities i guess mm. of of the society and uh the the industrial schools for girls and boys often that would be if a family lost the father or mother um uh lost in some way through death or whatever doesn't really matter or if the children were not being cared for properly or whatever, they would be sent to these industrial schools just as 
it's almost like social worker coming and, you know, um, but I mean, the industrial school is a much, much worse place to be than the family home in a lot of cases. Um, and Fintan O'Toole talks about that quite a lot in his in his book. Um, but uh, that it's all part of the same, you know, um, world there. Yeah, that's fascinating. Speaking of the past, shall we go to the past, which I believe is this card oh, Okay. Present. Right, now. Well, that's definitely <laughs> <laughs> apt. Yeah. Um, I'll read that for you. So it's number 37 for people who are into the whole numbers thing. And I'm just going to turn to that in the book. <laughs> I feel like I'm, uh, I'm telling a story. Um, <laughs> the prison. A manacled prisoner languishes behind bars, but the sunlight floods into the cell. This card stands for those situations where we are seemingly trapped, where the key is turned on us and we have no freedom of action. Oh, well, it kind of fits quite well with what I've just been saying, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, whew, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say about all of that. I mean, it's like so, so kind of, um, yeah. Other people today who are aware that they come from that situation, do people know that they're, they're from those houses where, like, they were abandoned or...? Uh, well, in the industrial schools, they, you know, they were, they would have known for sure. But in the mother and baby homes, um, like I say, a lot of those children were um, adopted, were you know, sent to America or England, mm-hmm. and um, or they were also fostered out to families in Ireland. Now, in some cases, that didn't go very well because they were, you know, abused in the houses. Uh, sometimes just like overworked, you know, it was just like having another farm hand or you know someone to help out. So the child was almost. You know, right, great, we have another worker. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they were and they weren't treated like the other children in the family. You know, it's really kind of you can imagine how that went. Um it was money sent, you see, to these foster homes to look after the children. And the money wasn't spent on the children at all, of course, and they might have had shoes that had holes in them and sure they were, you know, mm. not not treated very well at all. And then also the children that remained in the home, uh, they were sent to local schools. Um, and Catherine Corliss, the, the woman who kind of discovered all of this and researched it, <clears throat> was in a school in Tume, cl- close to Tume. And she, had, she you know, went, was in school with some of the children from the home. And she, she talks so kind of, you know, heartbreakingly about these children who would arrive with the hobnail boots and they were set apart. They would come, they would be, arrive into the class later than everyone else. They would sit at a different table. Uh, they were treated entirely differently by, by the teacher. They would leave early or they'd be taken out of the class and marched back to the home. And no one wanted to be their friend. It was almost like a threat. Well, if you don't sort yourself out there, John, you'll be sitting beside, uh. oh, you know who over here, you know. So, you know, can you imagine what that would do, you know? Yeah. Um, so Catherine just speaks, so like I say, you know, when you're, she was a child herself. And of course you get taken in by all of this. She tells a heartbreaking story about, you know, um, taunting one of them herself, you know. And I think this is one of the things that remained in her mind was, you know, she took a, a sweet wrapper with no sweet in it. I think that's how the story goes. And she kind of says, oh, do you, do you want this, you know, to one of the home children? And of course, they've never seen a sweet in their lives, you know. Oh, my God. And... Uh, Oh, not really. Well, you know, this kind. So, yeah. and she said that the fact that she did that remained with her, you know, and it, because, you know, children that, you know, they watch what's going on, what their peers are doing and they emulate it. And then it's only after your conscience kind of begins to you wonder about what you've just done. And so I think all of these things made her into the woman who who ended up making such changes in the country. So. You know, sometimes making those mistakes and get, you know, it's really quite valuable because then it begins to mm. help you unravel your own prejudices or your own ideas of what's right and wrong. And, um, you know, we all need to examine our our conscious, you know, conscience and our own kind of inbuilt prejudices from wherever they might come, um, you know, because we all, we all have them don't we do you know yeah. no matter where we're from um and yeah kind of un- picking those apart and beginning to kind of you know do what's right anyway, yeah so that's i can't remember again can't remember the question 
<laughs> me neither. It's all good. We're on the same page. Um, that is really interesting. Um, usually with prison cards as well, it's usually to do with like self-imprisonment too. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, Corliss is on this journey of freeing herself from yeah. stuff that she's done in the past yeah. as well. And what you describe, it sounds like a caste system yeah. too, which yeah. is, you know, it's, I had no idea this was a thing. And yeah, and yeah as you say, it was and a lot of people don't. And, that's yeah. the that's I think that's when when all of this came out and again Fintan O'Toole says this so well the known unknown yeah or is it the unknown known I can't remember which one it is <laughs> but you get what I mean yeah. it's like it, and it's funny growing up in Ireland as well and that like you know in the 80s and 90s there was so much of that we the, you knew that these homes existed these the, the last home mother and baby home in Ireland closed in 1996 my goodness. 1996. So, it is the, you know, we all kind of know, we, you know, you, you, you know, I even spoke to my parents and, you know, you knew these things exist, existed. Sometimes you would have direct contact, sometimes you wouldn't, sometimes you just knew of a friend of a friend of a cousin of someone. Mm. But, it's the known unknown, the unknown known, can't remember, you get the idea. Um, do you know, so, yeah. Fascinating. Shall we go to the future? Shall we? The Tower. Okay, number 25. This is an interesting card. This one usually stumps people. Um, it's quite a... It's quite a mysterious one. Okay. A castle stands on a hillside without a moat or a visible door. Proud, stern and unyielding. The symbol represents achievement gained in the face of adversity and reflects sometimes the arrogant conscious mind repressing the unconscious mind between, behind, beneath it. <laughs> the known unknown. Um, it can often presage the pride that goes before a fall. It can also stand for male sexuality. I didn't expect that. Was kind of, yeah, yeah. It was like shoehorned this in This was written in the 80s. There's okay. some like really misogynistic stuff in there. Like, okay. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we won't get to any more of that. Oh, okay. I only caught like half of that. I was like, you know, <laughs> desperately trying to kind of like... There's um, so much going on. There's yeah. going on there. Uh, Do you want me to right. go over it again? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the way I view this card anyway, yeah. is it's about the unconscious and the conscious so like the tower is often our own minds okay there's no door there's no there's no moat there's it's about how the walls you put up the boundaries you put up between you and the world it can also be about um for example you know the pride that comes before a fall oftentimes if you isolate yourself too much you can you can fall prey to the sort of horrors of your own mind, mm. the prejudices that you have if you don't examine your, your conscious enough. Um, and it can also be about, you know, do you let people in easily? Do you keep people away? In terms of art, um, it can also be about the creative process. Sometimes we, we're trapped in our, in our towers. Yeah. Sometimes we're looking from above some, you know, but it sounds like with you, the tower could be, could be the mother and baby homes. Mm. You know, it could be um, performance stuff mm. as well like mm. how how close you view yourselves to the audience and how mm. close you view yourselves to the to the art yeah and to the others in the band as well because this is mm. like you know do you view yourself as a conduit or mm. are you are you the the thing itself I don't know yeah that's a really interesting one the, the like I say on the, the the creation of this album so you know I bring the ideas to the lads and kind of just really nervously, kind of like, as if I'm, you know, just like acoustic guitar, but it's, it's an S tube, semi plugged in, um, <laughs> kind of singing quietly. I think this melody is okay, you know. Um, so that's kind of the idea, and then you know we begin to, you know, tease it all out. Um, but one of the interesting things with this album was the first track. So just as we were, which is the spoken word track, um, just as we were finishing up the tour pre-pandemic with Gravelines, um, every time we were doing sound check, Rafe was doing this kind of chord progression and it was kind of like our little sound check key type scenario. And um, it just kind of really kind of stuck. And then, you know, as things were, you know, so usually, he, you know, I bring the, the ideas so it was unusual for someone else to do that um but so we kind of started jamming this out and I was like oh it's great like but you know I guess I'm not really used to singing on someone else's 
-hmm. how how I write things is kind of like that's a nice chord and this singy thing over it is pretty okay yeah that'll do sweet nice um whereas you know right playing is chord progression I was like I don't really know how to sing over someone else's thing um so we were one night late in the studio uh he was like do you you know you usually have some kind of a short story or poem on the go do you do you have any you know speaky thing <laughs> and I was like yeah this story that I was, you know, just kind of, yeah, it was like a stream of conscious. It's funny you should say that earlier. It's very much a stream of conscious, just within that mother and baby home idea of this girl who doesn't really know she's pregnant. See, a lot of the, that back to that story, you know, the lack of education, um, because, you know, education is power, and as we know, but if you, the Catholic Church is, um, uh, idea was and even when I was in school that if you tell the women and, and the, the lads about sex then they'll sure they'll be doing it they'll be all at it then so you know so it's kind of keep that information away um, which actually is just so dangerous you know so a lot of these girls didn't re really understand you know what sex was or what was happening and then they were pregnant they didn't even know how they got pregnant and they didn't know what if they were pregnant they didn't really I suppose they knew maybe when their mom was pregnant or lady up the road they began to see the similarities and oh my god I'm pregnant how did I get pregnant they didn't you know so um so that's kind of how that that short story is that story of that kind of like you know and also the you know the fam family life in a rural place where they you know they don't really speak to each other the relationship is very fraught um anyway um but yeah so I just started kind of speaking over this um jam that Rafe and Bill had kind of just done the chord progression and whatever and uh, we have this vocal booth where there's a window and there's a wee door and the window's there and then you can see Bill kind of sat <laughs> and Rafe's on the other couch and the two of them just stood off at the window they were like <laughs> that's amazing you know and I was like try, trying to read you know reading this <laughs> so on the first take the first demo of it you can just hear me kind of just like laughing at the, the subject matter you know it was just you know because the two of them were like <laughs> you know oh it's one of the best memories of the whole thing but yeah so sometimes these ideas come like at 11 p.m um after a few whiskeys and, you know, I'm off chatting about, you know, then the priest was called, etc. So it was just, yeah, it kind of came from that. We got so immersed in the story and those kind of ideas just come. And then I was just like, oh, I'm not going to do spoken word. I mean, I mean, I don't know if I can do that, you know, and like, it's, you know, and so I'm really glad we stuck with it. And it's probably maybe one of the proudest moments of the album and to play it live is just so I think what you were saying about the live uh, playing uh, playing these songs live is just like nothing else like obviously Church of the Cosmic Skull is just a whole other kind of sermon <laughs> a sermon of a different kind uh, with you know and a lot because uh, Church has a lot of it we feel really close to the audience it's very much that sense of community and you know the church is in session and the crowd is just such a massive part of what that band does live um and I think on this DFM album it's just become exactly like the same but completely in a very different way where some we did we did four shows but there was there was such a sense of like it's almost like such a, a a weighty, heavy, heavy silence. So in between words, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I, you know, we did that first song in Leeds, and it was the first gig we'd done in like two years, over two, two and a half years, and it was just like, <laughs> it's like the all the air went out of the room, and it was all I could do to, to you know, not. I didn't know. I didn't know if I wanted to just. You know, when your breath is up here. Yeah, you're like. Yeah, it's all in your chest. So, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, reading it like this. I was like, there's no, I can't. <laughs> you know, and it was just became, you know, almost, you know. So I had to just have a word with myself and just like, you know, let okay, you know, without, 
you know, taking too much for breath, and then the songs out, you know, whack, and then the lads are like, "You're you're you're talking too slow." Um, but uh, it was just, and I think every show after that as well, the crowd it just became people were just so. It was it was almost like we were all holding hands. Like, oh, that sounds so. <laughs> But do you know what I mean? We were. It was like they were on the stage. It was all just one big stage, and we were all there. Just really, it was. It was more intimate than than intimate can be, or something. It was. Um, it's really really hard to put words on. But um, so yeah, I think. The people, it's it's just all one big. Performance with everybody involved, um, and a lot of people, you know. Crying and it was—it's, ooh—it's a very um. Ugh, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> yeah, it's just really intense. <laughs> it's beyond intense, if that's possible. So yeah, it's a privilege to be able to like speak about these things and have people hear about it for the first time. And in, in some cases, because unless you're, unless you're Irish, I think so th- these this story did make international news, mm-hmm. but obviously faded very quickly from that. You know. There's a lot going on in the world. So um, I think for a lot of people, it was the first time they'd heard about it. Then a, a similar situation in Canada was uncovered. I don't know if you... Is it with native children? That's right. Yeah. In a very similar uh, situation. There was a full-on genocide in, yeah. in the Americas. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's terrible what people do when they find differences in others. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. And the differences can be... Like that, it's not even minimal. difference, just minimal, exactly. Yeah. Like a child born out of wedlock. I mean, that's you know, um, so yeah, privilege to be able to uh, speak about it and to have, um, yeah, to, to, to have people affected by it as much as we have, I suppose. And then, what's the whole idea? Like, as a primary school teacher, is to knowledge is power if, if the children know. Don't like cover up World War Two, and you know, yeah. do you know what I mean. Like, make sure they know all of these things that have happened, so that we don't let them happen again. Exactly. That's it, really. Yeah, yeah. I find it really interesting as well that um, something I've certainly found is it's a lot more vulnerable to speak on stage than to sing on stage. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Right. It feels like it's so much more you. Yeah. There's no performance there. Yeah. 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 So it's a lot more scary and like. Yeah. Yeah. I I find it interesting and the 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 atmosphere you describe. I don't know if you've seen her live, but um, Lingua Ignota shows are really similar. It's like horrific in the most beautiful and and communal way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a pain that everyone can understand. Absolutely. I saw her of Roadburn. Oh my god! Um, that was one of the yeah, and to her, it's an incredible projection. I think it was kind of like a cult. I don't know if you were there. Were you I there? wasn't at Roadburn. I saw um, her in London though. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if she had the same kind of live show, um, but she had a projection story. I think, but it was it was it looked like it was a kind of a cult story something. I'm not sure where it was from, but it was that was one of the you know me and Bill stood there and went. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, Rafe is our projection guy. So you know, we've been putting together ideas for when, whenever we get to do more shows. But Linguignata's performance just a huge, huge inspiration. Like she's just, it's yeah, it's visceral, isn't it? It's, it's, like, it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah, like I don't know if she's gonna hurt herself or hurt yeah. one of the audience members. Or yeah. but yeah, and and the <laughs> yeah. sub yeah, <laughs> I love her so much. And yeah, the subject matter as well. It's yeah. like definitely. Yeah. It's so personal and yet it's very universal at the same time. Absolutely, exactly. And that's, yeah. that's why, you know, all of these stories, you know, writing this album about a story or being inspired by these stories, like, because they're all just human stories mm. and we can learn from things. And perhaps the other thing is that perhaps, like for in Lingua Ignata's case, perhaps some of the people listening to her stories like that was them you know yeah they, exactly they, they can identify with that and maybe get some strength from that or begin to deal with something that perhaps they had you know closed off or you know so it's just it's all a big healing potential healing um scenario definitely yeah i love that <laughs> healing scenario <laughs> healing scenario um beautiful shall we go with this is your 
driving force. Can Go you reach? First. Do you want me to? No. <laughs> it's not. I should probably do the cards closer in future. <laughs> okay. Birth. Well, that's the perfect driving force. You were born. <laughs> so number 15, I'll read that to you. Um, new life is seen springing forth from the womb. The plant making a new green shoot with droplets of fresh dew under a morning sky. The card stands for the natural coming to birth of new ideas, a new hope, a new person entering the closed world of your life. It is a card of spring and psychological growth with the promise of new beginnings. Oh, that's good. That is a good one, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of made me think of, you know, my kids at school, um, I'm a primary school teacher, um, but uh, like I say, I retrained as a music um, specialist. <laughs> I don't I mean, I'm not special on my knowledge isn't special yet either, so I don't know if that word is correct. But, uh, you know, person who just teaches music. Um, but uh, so that's it really kind of reminded me of, um, that, yeah, it's like a whole new way of seeing music. Um, and uh, having come to performance and writing songs late-ish, uh, like I'm, I was like 31, um, it's... Uh, that was kind of, you know, as fair, relatively new and also bringing music to the to the children because I think off camera we were saying that um, in a lot of schools, you know, there's music isn't really taught uh, as a curriculum subject at all or very well, um, often because the staff members don't feel uh, confident, um, as confident as other subjects. And um, in if some schools are looking, they have they have an actual employed specialist who comes in and delivers that curriculum, and that's it. But in some cases, um, it's ignored entirely because of the SATs uh, exam, t you know, testing process, and yeah. the 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 emphasis is on you know scoring highly in maths and English, you know. So, so the emphasis is on music, and um, so you know, I think in career-wise, that was a real rebirth. Um, in kind of having to retrain, I, I know how to teach maths, etc., but how to bring, how to kind of introduce music theory, uh, you know, in a way that very small children can understand and get it like really truly embed, you know, rhythmic and um, pitch skills, and build the hearing, your 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 kind of inner hearing is what they kind of call it in the this training I did. Um, so, you know, that inbuilt knowledge um, and it's a lot less mathsy mm. than, the, you know, from, you know, tech and tech, a lot less technical, <laughs> um, a lot more accessible. So that's been just a really kind of revelation in um, because it's made me understand music writing in a different way. And then see, it, it, there's a lot of crossover. It's really interesting, the creative world and then breaking it right down, musical concepts for the children to, to help a five-year-old understand, um, you know, music theory is... So it's, yeah, that's been a kind of a, a teaching rebirth, I think. That sounds immensely challenging, but also really rewarding. I'm so curious as well, like, um, do you find that, do you find that children are more open to music than they are for, to example, for like a like science or English? Do you find that it's more children are suited to receiving that knowledge? Yeah, well, there's loads. Yeah, it's, it's been that's been a real interesting revelation actually, because we have a lot of in my school we've a lot of kids from who come from um, Syria. There's a lot of kids who've come uh, as refugees, kids who come from other countries. A lot of children who don't speak any English initially when they come to us obviously learning English very quickly uh, kids are like sponges but one of the things that can really bring them out of themselves is music because you know they don't really know what the words of what we're singing but the melody is a universal thing isn't it and beat and rhythm and just like tapping their drum we've got their little clades out you know and uh, tune percussion and things like that and they suddenly feel like oh this is I know this I know what this is or at least I can mess mess about with it in a musical way and I'm like wow well done you know <laughs> give a lot of encouragement and yeah. and so that gives them confidence then that they can bring to other subjects and bring to, to their education across cross cur curricular um and then you've got we have a lot of special needs kids kids and all sorts of um from vulnerable backgrounds and that's been a revelation as well. These kids who really struggle, they're in foster care. They have, we have a lot of homeless kids, um, 
be it you know hot- living in a hotel or couch surfing um with their families and so a lot of psychological a lot of I mean, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot going on in the world at the moment. So sometimes music can be just, they come in and they're like, yay, because it's Aww, just joy time, you yeah. know. And for the little ones, it, it's very, you know, happy, clappy and, you know, kind of, like, well done, let's do, you know. Yeah. Um, and for the older ones then, you know, as well, it's, but it's, it, it has to be all based around joy and fun. And it's not kind of right, get your exercise books out now. We're going to write down, what is it? You know, this is a treble clef. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a lot more building the inner hearing the inner knowledge and the you know kinesthetic uh, approach to learning uh, rather than just like look at it learn it learn it by heart learn it by rote um yeah and they it, it, i find then that they i think your original question like do they some of the kids have an innate not you know kind of understanding or enjoyment or and they do it's really and sometimes it's the kids that you don't expect I go and tell the teacher afterwards, oh, Johnny's having a great time. He's really, and she's like, wow, because he really struggles with maths or English or, you know, he, you know, um, and, but he's excelling or kind of really music has, you know, brought something out. And so it's incredibly rewarding um, challenging, like you say, as well, for lots of obvious reasons. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And do you teach scales as well with what you're doing? How do you do that? I'm really curious because that was the thing that really screwed me up when I was, I hated memorising scales so much. <laughs> well, we have um, glockenspiels. You have glockenspiels. Got some glockenspiels, yeah. Oh. So cute. So our year fours have the, the Nottingham Music Service come in and do um, whole school, um, you know, lessons stringed instruments so I mean that's an incredible in a school like mine that's an incredible gift mm. for free well we school pays but it's all you know the children access it for free and uh, so they get to learn viola violin cello oh wow yeah and they can continue that after school Fantastic. an area band it's great like I mean the music hubs around the country I feel like I'm doing an education podcast now but <laughs> um, you know, they're they're incredible partners um so that's what they do in year four and they can continue that and then for the rest of the kids, I write glockenspiel time. So, I mean, it's quite like a piano. And I mean, the the the, uh, the music notes are written on the actual keys. So it's, you know, it's a, um, it's a, it's kind of easier for them to. But they, weirdly, because of all the embedded knowledge and that they have from before, they're really... They're ready. They're ready. That's amazing. And they're kind of like, ooh, ooh, a more kind of technical... They think it's quite technical. Like, this is the scale of C major. Like, ooh, what's the <laughs> minor? You know, oh, and they're... You know, circle of fifth singing in yeah, year four. So, I know, it's so cute. So they actually think like, oh, we're getting all technical now. Well, this is hard. I like... They love a challenge, you know. It's like... So all I have to say is like, anyone ready for a challenge? And they're kind of like... <laughs> you know, that so... That is so yeah, cute. Yeah, it's very cute. Couch everything is a challenge. Like, who wants a challenge? Oh, you don't want a well, you do want a challenge. Anyway, At this age, though, if you say ready for a challenge, I'm like, no, I'm not even that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it took me a long time to realize challenge is a good thing. Like, okay, they love a challenge. So yeah, so scales, yeah, they they just they eat that up. It's amazing. Amazing. Like, yeah. Gosh. So I'm really lucky. I have a great bunch. I have a great school and really supportive. That is amazing. Oh, I kind of want to travel back in time, become like a year four kid, and just like, go to one of your classes and just be like. Come watch the craziness. Oh, please, yeah. I, I mean, you know, maybe maybe release those videos, like, publicly for adults, too. Because <laughs> yeah, I will yeah. happily start relearning theory for you. That would oh, be great. Dude, yeah, it was... When I started that training, you know, even the person who was given the training, it's the Kadai methodology, is mm-hmm. is the uh, the British Kadai Academy. And uh, so it's just... Uh, it's a much more kind of embedded version of um, just... You know, music theory and they were even saying it was a revelation for them when they began to look at this way of seeing music and I was there going oh my god it was just such a kind of like now I get it <laughs> you know um so I'd say yeah. for a lot of adults and a few people I've described it to they've been like oh you know so I think the whole world could do that's with- amazing yeah yeah I just remember the ABRSM books and the miles of paragraphs on triple duple time <laughs> oh, and like the yeah. cd and it's just like a guy with a metronome and you just wow. zone out immediately when yeah. you start speaking yeah yeah and we do all of that in basic songs so we you know introduce like duple time at really quite a young age but yeah. it's through a simple little song um and they they feel like they really have ownership of all the knowledge amazing you know because they all the aspects the rhythmic aspects the pitch aspects the fact that there's two beats in a bar 
you know, all of that, they're kind of, they feel like empowered by, they're like, oh, I know, I know that, <laughs> you know. And like I say, if it's through song, your first instrument, vocal, um, that that's, you've already got that internally, do you get me? And then you mm-hmm. can, any instrument then is, is a bonus. Do you think that people sang first or spoke first? Oh, sang. Yeah, I think. I agree. For sure. Yeah. Well, because like the spoken word is really sing-song. Mm. Like this is something I've realised. It's this, very melodic. It's very language. Melodic, and like tone sure. is a kind of melody, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you, me- like the melody of anger, the melody of exactly a- everything else. Yeah. For sure. Like even yeah. I even say to my staff at school because they were like, "Oh, singing," you know, and and uh, I kind of say, "Well, I mean, just listen to your tone of voice rising and falling. Yeah. You are." That it, that is a form of you know, um, and I love when the, when the kids are you know, a little bit larry, and I'm trying to get them to just you know, I'm like really drop my pitch. Like, kids hate then. it when you don't shout. Exactly. It's much worse if you don't shout. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I never shout. It's yeah. all just you know varying pitches of voice. <laughs> and like, and then they're like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no Miss Peace. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like the oh, what's that thing when people. Do sounds. Oh, right. ASMR. Yeah, I love ASMR. Yeah. Like that's yeah. what they say. Like, oh, miss you're like you're like the ASMR. You know. That's so funny. I love that. Should we see what the future holds? Uh huh. The scales. Oh my god. <laughs> How weird. The scales. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay. Which one? That's the relative minor. (laughs) The apple scale? I don't know. Uh, This is number 24. Um, Well, hopefully this means you're going to be rolling it out um, and it's going to be really big because that's the future. So a pair of scales with fruit hanging from an ancient twisted fruit tree. The symbol stands for justice, moderation, prudence and a sense of balance in our affairs. It represents common sense and a harmony with the world of nature. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, balance. I mean, you know, I spoke earlier about... The work-life. The work-life balance, uh, which is always a struggle. But, uh, yes, yeah, so I part-time teach, part-time do bands stuff. And, you know, you know that because you could be working all the time. Isn't that it? You know, in this modern world. Um, so me and Bill are always trying to get that balance of, let's turn the computers off today. <laughs> Let us, you know, leave the house. like shock um you know yeah so I think uh you know as a teacher I mean every every person who works in a school will say that you never switch off from that you're always trying to find better ways of doing things also like thinking about those kids who need you and some disclosure you know that you safeguarding it's just it's a minefield of um care in a school and you never you never switch off from that um, so doing um, another number of jobs on top of that, like um, I think, as you probably know, me and Bill, you know, do both of the bands like entirely um, self-sufficiently. Um, and so self-manage, self-finance, self, you know, booking the production, video production, audio production, uh, you know, literally every aspect with some amount of collaboration and with um, artists and different people, you know, we're surrounded in Nottingham by an incredible amount of amazing uh, people, including people within the band as well. So it's um, bands. But um, so, but that's an unending amount of work, yeah. uh, needless to say. Um, so it's difficult to get that balance, but I think because me and Bill are you know, live together, we do pretty much do everything together, you know, that, like, that wouldn't work if we, if, you know, if he, my partner and he wasn't involved in any of this, it'd just be a constant battle of, like, can we hang out ever? Yeah. (laughs) Like, sorry, I'm off to the studio again. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we're really lucky. I don't know, it's, it's, we've created this, haven't we? So I suppose it's not luck, it's just we've, we've created this because this is what we want. Yeah, it's a tree that Um, you grew and planted. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, so it's, uh, we're, you know, I think maybe that's one of the problems where we're both always kind of working 
and but it, and it's okayed by the fact we're both always working. Do you know, if there was one party that was like, we need to not do this today, yeah. it would be, you know, but but we love it and um, we're, it's a privilege to be able to make music and have the, um, you know, the, the skills to do all of that, whatever, and the, the, the studio to do it in and surrounded by an incredible amount of people, all the people in it, both bands just absolute legends and you know so we're really we're that's very lucky <laughs> i love hearing that um as someone who is also in literally the same you know in a band with my partner we do everything ourselves finance everything ourselves yeah. um and we we love doing that but i'd be really curious to hear because we get asked this all the time so i'm, I'm going to ask you now mm-hmm. um like why don't you um outsource that stuff why don't you go to a label what's what's made you decide to do it this way Whew. um oh there's, i suppose there's, there's loads of different reasons we we just got stuck in doing it this way mm-hmm. and um built up the skills to be able to do it this way i mean you know bill is a huge part of that um and it's the ownership of it um you know label wise i guess the some of the decision making about how you want to present something uh is is taken away obviously um and in in the way things run now you can kind of self fund things often in a you know pre-sale we do you know put the albums on pre-sale so that the funding is there to complete the you know purchase of all of the the manufacturing etc and then so we can afford to do it that way so I suppose it's not as necessary to have a label, perhaps, as it would have been in the past. Um, and then the internet, obviously, we can completely self-promote mm. or put everything, all of our work, out into the world that way without... It's, it's you know, 20, 30 years ago, you couldn't have done that. So there's that. Um, we do work with bookers um, now. Um, and, you know, DFM, we're, we're going to be... We're, we're looking to work with some bookers now for, nice. to, to move on with that. Um, and we have, both bands have a booker in America, so I'm hoping that um, DFM will also make it out there soon enough. It's, again, funding. Exciting. <laughs> Very exciting. So yeah. um, Jake from Heavy Talent has really looked after church last summer, and we're going to go back again uh, soon. So we're really lucky to have that for both bands as well on the horizon. But, um, yeah, so, so it's kind of like... It's easier as to answer your question. I guess it's possible to do a lot of this stuff yourself now. Mm-hmm. Is one of the reasons. Um, but I think as projects grow, you begin to work with more and more people in different ways, um, and you know. So we are kind of doing that in in little little ways. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for entertaining that question. I personally hate being asked that, but at the same time, I think it is good to hear what people have to say at the okay. same time because I think some people don't don't realize how much potential there is to do stuff on your own yeah 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 but it's a skill set thing as well i mean bill is um he'll hate me going on about this but you know he's he's the you know the graphic designer the you know the artistic vision obviously behind church and you know production you know all of that stuff so like that's his skill set that we utilize for all (laughs) all the projects (laughs) you know so mostly his skill (laughs) set but yeah so to have a, a bill on board is i mean (laughs) <laughs> have a bill on board. I love that. Yeah, get everyone to have a bill on board. <laughs> He's gonna hate this. <laughs> it could be like a, a church song. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like <laughs> well, thank you so much. I mean, to look at this, this is a beautiful story. You go from birth with like the shoot coming out of the ground. You go to this ancient tree of knowledge, with like scales hanging off it. Um, you know, you've you've escaped from prison. You've climbed up the stairs to fortune. Your big tower of success and fulfillment. And now you're reaping the fruit of your labours. So that was a wonderful story that we just experienced. And thank you for exploring it with me and for coming on, coming all the way from Nottingham, clearly just for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But thank you. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, I don't think so, really. Um, Yeah, like, um, thank you so much to everyone who's listened to um, Worthy Ether. And uh, thank you for supporting it and getting involved and being emotional with us <laughs> around it. And um, yeah, so that's about it. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. It was a, a pleasure. And um, go check out World of the Ether, as Caroline said. Please like and subscribe and give these guys a follow if you haven't already.
Thank you.